Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Have you heard of historiography? Your historiography is the method you employ in doing history. It's like a collection of presuppositions and commitments to how you think history should be done. Now, this is especially relevant when the scholars who make the rules for doing history decide to exclude any supernatural events from their historiography. Today, my guest, Aaron Schellenberger, continues his rebuttal to Ehrman's three main objections to the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. We discuss Ehrman's contentions that supernatural events are inaccessible to historians and the prevalence of methodological naturalism. Also, Schellenberger briefly reviews the recent debate between his old professor Mike Lycona and Bart Ehrman. Here now is episode 446, Resurrection Objection, part three, final part, Supernatural Inaccessible, question mark, with Aaron Schellenberger. Aaron Schellenberger, welcome back to Restitutio. So glad to have you on the show today to talk about resurrection. Hello again, Sean. Thanks for having me again. You mentioned from last time there might be some clarifications, some review. What would you like to go back to from last time, our last conversation together before we get into today's topic? Yeah, there's one thing that I've neglected to point out in our previous meeting regarding Ehrman's objection. As uh, I've explained, uh, his objection was the intrinsic improbability of miracles uh, because historians can only establish what probably happened in the past. Miracles are extremely improbable. Therefore, historians cannot establish miracles. Uh, while Ehrman's objection fails because of the invalidity and the unsoundness of the, the argument, the resurrection that we have in this case is a non-supernatural resurrection which can be reduced to a natural resurrection now why is this because in my response i've granted that we put aside whether or not god is involved in the picture and for that reason it simply would just be a non-supernatural resurrection it is a resurrection, but it's non-supernatural, uh, which can be reduced to what we may call a natural resurrection. Jesus was really dead, and he became alive somehow, based on the evidence. Assuming that we have lots and lots of good evidence, uh, the, the, that type of resurrection can be, in principle, established. Now, I've mentioned to you before we, we meet just now um, that there was a almost all-day event, a debate event between uh, Michael Lacona and Bart Ehrman this Saturday, April 9th, right? It started at 9.30, ended at 4.30 with uh, some breaks in between, you know, lunch and all. It was a long debate. And one thing that I arrived at is the fact that I, I don't think any of the two uh, won the debate because... The debate question was, did Jesus' resurrection 
really happen? Did the resurrection of Jesus really happen? If you're a pro, you're going to say, yes, it did happen. It did really happen. But if you're against it, then it you would say, no, it didn't really happen. So Bart Ehrman at first was saying, well, it could not have happened because of the loss of nature. Pretty much, you know, dead men don't become alive again. They stay dead. And then later on, he qualifies it by saying, well, one can establish the resurrection if we have amazing evidence. He used that term, amazing evidence. Instead of extraordinary evidence. Instead of saying extraordinary evidence. Yeah, yeah. So on the one hand, he says it cannot be established. And then on the other hand, he says, well, you can if there is any. But in the final analysis, uh, he doesn't really try to show that it did not really happen. That makes sense. So in his case, only shows that we're, we're just agnostic about it. That's the bottom line with Ehrman's position there. On the other hand, Mike Lacona, his position is reduced to non-supernatural or a natural resurrection because he says that he's not assuming God or he, he's putting God aside, right? He's just looking at the evidence. And from what we have, the minimal facts, we are able to, not only in principle, but also in practice, we're able to, at least he claims to have been able to establish the resurrection of Jesus. Now, to me, like I've said, it's, this is actually a natural resurrection, not, not the, the biblical resurrection. The, because the biblical resurrection is God <laughs> raised Jesus from the dead. And by the way, that brings me to an important point as, uh, as biblical Unitarians. The biblical resurrection says that Jesus was raised by God. God raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't really rise by himself. You know, he didn't make himself alive and rise from the dead. So we, we have to make that, that distinction. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that, and I'll, I'll let you ask questions here at this point. Yeah, this is an, an interesting category you bring up, the whole idea of a non-supernatural resurrection. Is that, am I saying that correctly? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, simply because we're putting God aside in the picture. Now, the reason we're doing it this, this way is because it's, it's a methodological approach. It's called methodological naturalism. It, it doesn't mean that we're denying God's existence. You know, we're, it doesn't mean we're atheists. Okay, methodologically, as an approach, as a method, we're putting God aside. So it is a non-supernatural resurrection. Yeah. I, I would say that uh, methodological naturalism is unnecessary as, as okay. a tool. Um, I don't think I would grant that as a starting place, because I think the, the furthest that Mike Lycona can get, a, a minimal facts apologist can get, is to really confuse and befuddle the atheist with the excellent evidence for the historicity of the resurrection. But the atheist does not have in his, like the closest the atheist has is an alien with superior technology. That's about as, as close as the, the atheist will come to being able to believe God raised Jesus from the dead. I don't think we really want to argue for alien... <laughs> <laughs> intervention right, right. or some sort of technological explanation. 
that is apart from God himself. So I, I hear what you're saying. It is problematic to just grant the presuppositions. And that's kind of our topic for today, right? Aren't we discussing historiography as, uh, you know, the question of what what is the absolute inaccessibility to the supernatural? What are we talking about here? Yeah, this is where this second challenge or objection that I critically analyze, Bart, the absolute inaccessibility to the supernatural. So according to Ehrman, historians, qua historians, can only adjudicate historical claims and cannot adjudicate theological claims like the resurrection of Jesus. Now here I think uh, Ehrman is partly right and partly wrong. He's partly right because the resurrection does have a theological aspect to it. Namely, God performed the act of bringing a dead man back to life. So, therefore, historians, by the nature of their profession, do not have access to God or any supernatural power. Uh, Regardless of their religious or non-religious background, in the conventional historiography, historians apply what is called methodological naturalism, an approach that disallows any supernatural explanation in a historian's inquiry of any event claim. Uh, Methodological naturalism is not to be confused with metaphysical or ontological naturalism, which makes a bold claim, a bold claim that requires a justification that God does not exist and the natural world is all there is. Now, on the other hand, Ehrman is partly wrong because the resurrection does have a historical aspect to it, namely that Jesus' dead body physically returned back to life, an occurrence that purportedly had taken place within the space-time continuum on this earthly plane. Now, while historians do not have access to the actual event in question, and nobody does, by the way, They do have access to ancient texts and archaeology that may or may not have captured the purported event in question. Nevertheless, in my thesis, I propose that historians ought to abandon the conventional historiography and adopt what I call modified historiography. The conventional historiography limits historians from honestly investigating miraculous claims, while the latter namely the modified historiography, would open up opportunities to learn more about the nature of reality. This modified fashion allows any supernatural power to be factored in a historian's historical inquiry. If there is enough evidence for the existence of a supernatural power and its involvement with humanity, and if professional historians are open to them, then there should not be any problem with adopting modified historiography. So if adopted, right, if historians adopt this modified historiography, then the door is swung open wide to establishing the resurrection of Jesus as an actual historical event. So I I actually read some of the things that uh, I have in my thesis. And uh, let me pause there, Sean. I remember sitting in uh, class with Paula Fredrickson, I took a class, I don't remember what it was called, but it was based on her uh, From Jesus to Christ uh, book or approach. And I remember she got to the lecture on miracles, 
she talks about resurrection and miracles. And it was the most uncomfortable I ever saw her because of the overwhelming number of miracles involved mm. with Jesus of Nazareth and her own historian's limitations to talk about anything supernatural at all. It does set up this sort of awkwardness. And I, I, I remember thinking, wow, she looks really uncomfortable. I don't know if she actually was. I just remember, it just seemed that way to me as a student. And then I remember her saying, we can't accept the miracles of Jesus. Because if we do, then we have to accept the miracles of everyone in all of history. And I just wonder, Aaron, what, what would your response be to that? That methodologically, we have to exclude all miracles from historiography, because if we do, then we have to accept any miracle, miraculous claims that anybody makes in the whole history of humanity. Yeah, why, why not? Uh, we welcome miraculous events. The question is, uh, are there enough evidence to show that such an event, a, a miraculous event, occurred? That's that. It boils down to that. You know, the, the good thing is uh, they, they acknowledge God, they acknowledge His power. You know, His uh, nature. Now the question boils down to evidence. So I, I'd welcome any any miraculous claim, even from the Muslims or Mormons or or you know. what about ancient. Greco-Roman biographies. Sometimes they mention omens or miraculous events. You know, for those, you would want to have some sort of evidence other than just somebody's word, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So how is, I guess, how is the evidence we have for Jesus different than, say, I don't know, Suetonius telling a story about you know, a flock of birds that went in a direction and that that was an indication that they, they should go to battle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how, how is the quality of evidence for Christ? Why is that so compelling? The New Testament records, you know, the Gospels and the Book of Acts and some parts of Paul's writings provide us a good information that gives us a good amount of confidence to believe that the resurrection of Jesus happened and even some of the miraculous actions he performed you know Jesus walking on on water you know the blind be, being able to see again you know the the lame being able to walk as a matter of fact even uh, liberal scholars grant that the witnesses saw something that Jesus did you know there were wonders now, whether or not they're miracles, whether or not they're gods performing them, that's another question, you know, because historians can't get into that stuff. But historians, liberal scholars, even acknowledge that, hey, we have enough data here that says there were people who recognized the wonders of Jesus, you know, exorcisms and healings and even uh, nature miracles. In my opinion, we, we, we have enough evidence to, to see that, hey, what we have here is reliable and believable and acceptable. And the believability and acceptability of all is heightened or raised by the fact that God exists, right? He had some prophecies in the Old Testament. And then we, we look at the religiously charged life of Jesus then the, the probability of the resurrection and the rest of the miracles go up. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you also have multiple witnesses for so much of this. I mean, not just, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and depending on what your assumptions are coming into them, you might look at them as Mark, Q, M, L, you know, and John. And uh, But regardless of of that kind of question, you know, we have multiple witnesses there. We have uh, statements of Paul that go back very early. So, yeah, it's not just one guy is my point. It's not just like one guy is like, oh, uh, this happened. Yeah, yeah. It's not like uh, what you mentioned, uh, you know, some ominous occurrence. Right, right. It's not just like, oh, I I saw this unusual event or impossible thing happened. And like, we don't have access to that eyewitness to say, well, were you intoxicated? (laughs) You know, did you eat some strange food? Was anyone else there? You know, like, these are the kinds of questions we would not want to ask somebody if they claimed that they saw, you know, a pig fly, right? Which is a miracle (laughs) because pigs can't fly. So when it comes to this whole subject, a lot of it comes down to defining what a miracle is. And what I think is so awesome about the Christian worldview is Mm -hmm. that we are able to account for other miracles outside of our own faith. Yes. So we we have three categories uh, just off the top of my head. Maybe there's more, but... You know, God, we believe God Mm -hmm. intervenes, God does things, and we call those miracles. Uh, Other miracles, we would say, are just bogus. You know, they're they're claims that don't turn out to be true, or that we just don't have enough evidence on one way or another to to make... Yeah, to adjudicate whether or not they... Yeah. yeah. And then a third category is demonic. And we, we and do so believe, that's, yeah, we that's do believe thing. that there are, is a possibility for miracles to mislead people. Yeah. So we are very open from a worldview. Our presuppositions are very open to any evidence for or against any alleged miracle. And I think yeah, that yeah. positions us much better than the uh, the atheist or the agnostic who just says, ah, I can't believe any of that. Uh, it, it positions us better to weigh evidence. Don't you think? Yeah. You mentioned atheist, agnostic. Already in, in their minds, they're already presupposing God's non-existence or questionable existence, right? So because of that, they're already biased against miracles. Miracles could be uh, you know, God performed or some demonic power performing it. So now the other thing I want to point out too, uh, Sean, is that... Uh, we need to get away from quoting liberal scholars. I know I did that a little bit, but just I did that just to point out that even liberal scholars acknowledge it. That's all it is. I'm not trying to say, well, because they said it, therefore it's true. No, I'm just saying even they are acknowledging that some of the things uh, said about Jesus is true. You know, it, it sort of debunks the idea of, you know, the mythicist and all that crowd there. Now, we do need to get away from trying to appeal to liberal scholarship. We're not at their mercy seat. We need to carve our own investigation. And, and Lydia McGrew had uh, been able, I'm looking for the books right now, <laughs> looking around here. Yeah, she has a number of books already put out in the past two or three years. And I'd recommend these books to everyone. Uh, one I have here is uh, Hidden in Plain View. Another one is The Mirror or the Mask. Real thick book, 
And then I have one here, which is the recent one, the eye of the beholder. This is about the reliability of the gospel of John. And this is very thick too. And uh, I have a lot of stuff to read there. And I'd encourage everybody to look into her work. And uh, we need to start contributing to this, carving out our own investigation and presentation and case for the reliability of the New Testament in support of the, new, uh, of the resurrection of Jesus and other things said about Jesus. And, uh, you know, move away a little bit uh, from uh, the, the minimal facts, work towards the maximal facts uh, approach. Okay. Let's talk about methodological naturalism for a minute. Okay. If you were having a conversation with a historian of Airman's Ilk, Sure. And you perceived that this person was already aware of the typical Christian minimal facts approach. And you wanted to challenge the historian's presupposition and make a case for what you're calling here modified historiography. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, modified historiography. How would you go about having that conversation? First of all, uh, I would acknowledge the fact that there is a place for the conventional historiography that historians employ. Conventional historiography entails a, a method called methodological naturalism. It's just a method, you know, putting aside any supernatural explanation or power. Uh, we just look at what we have here, you know, what happened in the past. And by the way, for, for Bart Ehrman, the past is not similar to history. The past is something much, much bigger. History is what we can recover, okay? And be able to, you know, write about and, you know, capture and write about. Majority of the historians don't really agree that God exists. And because of that, they're constrained. It's a methodological constraint. They, 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 ha they somehow decided to say, well, let's go ahead and put aside God. You know, let's just focus, regardless what our belief or non-belief, you know, whether we're Christians, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, Buddhists are actually atheists, you know, but whether we're Jewish, it uh, doesn't matter. Uh, atheists, agnostic, well, we're going to put aside the question about God, right? So we, we acknowledge that, okay? When we look at the, the resurrection, the resurrection has to do with our existential status. It claims to be performed by God, right? It claims that through this, God can make us immortal. When we discuss these things, we get into the ultimate nature of reality. So unfortunately, conventional historiography, through the use of methodological naturalism, it has limits. It does not get into the question of ultimate reality. So I would submit that to, to historians. Hey, because conventional historiography is so limiting, we need to modify it. Aren't we all after the truth about ultimate reality? The resurrection claims to be a historical event that's performed by God. Okay, so why not modify our approach? And why not incorporate God in the picture? Now, whether or not, uh, you know, what kind of God and all that, mm -hmm. of course we can debate that. But let's go ahead and start doing that. 
I'd like to encourage you to start getting into, because aren't we all about truth? Historical truths could be linked to ultimate reality. And, and what if they just said to you, well, Aaron, that's not the way history works, and you're trying to do philosophy, and I'm not a philosopher. What would you, <laughs> how would you reply back? Well, we have to realize that uh, history has an underlying philosophy in itself, too. Mm-hmm. History or doing history assumes certain things are in place. It assumes logic. It assumes that, you know, reasoning is a reliable tool. It assumes that the, that the past really happened. It, it's, a re, it's historical realism. They call that. Histor- Philosophically, you have, that, you have to have that already in place before you even do historiography. It assumes that historians are able to reach back and sort through all the, you know, all the data, archaeology, texts, uh, Mm -hmm. testimonies, and things like that. It assumes all of that. That's philosophy, okay? So if you're saying, well, that's, you know, you're being (laughs) philosophical. Of course I am being being philosophical. Yeah. But you're being philosophical too when you try to do history. You know, historiography is replete, is full of philosophy. So, <laughs> so I'd like to suggest, you know, if we have uh, uh, enough number of historians who are willing to look into yeah. this, why not? Because right now, majority of his historians decide, hey, we're going to put aside God. Okay, we're not going to discuss. Okay, what if someday, if we have enough evidence, if we, if there is enough uh, discussion? then we can go ahead and move towards uh, the modified historiography that I'm proposing. Namely, you know, let's go ahead and start allowing God. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly do appreciate a lot of the, a lot of the gains of modernism and the enlightenment over against superstition and, uh, Mm certainly pre-modernism and it's sort of blind uh either acceptance or rejection of authority uh yeah there's a lot there's a lot in modernism that i appreciate especially how it relates to science and technology engineering and the many benefits that this way of thinking has brought into our world but i don't think it's adequate to deal with people and the history of people is not uh, really something that the presuppositions of the Enlightenment can handle very well. Uh, you know, the, the economists yeah. and the sociologists, they can develop models on how they think based on incentives and given various initial conditions, how a village or group will, will react in a situation. But uh, <laughs> there's yeah. like almost no predictive reliability and his, history just seems like one one-off event after another one-off event, and m- many of them do make sense within their right. context. But then there are other events where you're just like, "Wow, I didn't see that one coming," <laughs> and that's just the sort of the nature of it. Uh, so I think we have to move beyond modernism and uh, embrace a more open-minded approach to doing history. And, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. typically, when we Christians talk about postmodernism, where uh, looking down our noses at it, <laughs> saying, oh, this is such a terrible thing. And in many yeah. ways, postmodernism is, is terrible. Uh, but there are some, you know, you're not going to have a movement if it has no validity to it. 
there's always going to be a kernel of right. truth, a kernel right. of goodness, or a legitimate sure. rebuke sure, yeah, of yeah. Yeah. an insufficiency in the previous movement. And, uh, you know, modernism applied to, you know, in the 20th century to nation states and militaries landed us in all kinds of killing each other. And, you know, it didn't produce the paradise that it promised. Uh, So I think when it comes to a bit bit rambling here, sorry, uh, Aaron, but (laughs) when it comes to uh, doing history, I don't think we can just privilege the modernist worldview that we've inherited from you know, a couple hundred years ago and say, well, this is infallible and we can't question it. And we have to presume naturalism at the outset. I, th- I think it's just kind of naive at this point in the game, at this point in the 21st century yeah. to say, oh, well, this is clearly the best and only way to do history. You know, some of that, I believe, is uh, you have enough influencers, philosophers of history and even historians themselves who are atheists and agnostic and their view, their oral view pushes them to keep this conventional historiography of entailing methodological naturalism. Uh, so, so in the back of their mind, they, 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 you know, that's really what they want. You know, they, they have that agenda. They're pushing it. You don't see it. They, don't, they won't admit it. They, they would mask themselves with, oh, we, we just don't want to allow God, you know, God what, can do whatever he wants. You know, we just don't have enough uh, people believing in God. Therefore, we're going to put him aside. Well, in that case, okay, let's go ahead and discuss God. You have to realize, too, that uh, historians, like I've said earlier, uh, they're not all atheists. Um, probably the majority of them are theists. Well, what would you say would be your top reasons for that you would present to somebody like that to believe in God? First, let, let me gather the, or rally the, the support of, of all theists, whether you're Muslim, Christian, Jewish, uh, you know, historian, let's, hey, let's go ahead and come up with ways to convince our atheist agnostic friends. Now, if they don't want to be a part of it, fine. Let's go ahead and start our own movement, pushing for, this modified historiography that I'm proposing, then I don't know how to even convince an atheist or agnostic historian to even allow, you know, supernaturalism. Uh, I don't know how to do that, to be honest. Uh, But at least, you know, if I can uh, garner enough support from other uh, theist historians, perhaps, you know, we can start the movement. And I believe that there is a movement like that already happening in the past uh, decade or two. There is this publication, Theory and uh, History. Some I'm not sure if you've heard of that. No, I haven't. You have a number of uh, philosophers of history contributing to that publication, Theory and History. I think that's the name of that uh, ac- academic publication. So there, there is a movement happening. Have you heard of a guy named Avizar Tucker? who is a philosopher of history. Okay. No. Yeah, he's one of those people that, to my uh, recollection, he's, uh, he's for allowing God in the picture, you know, or some, some kind of supernatural. It doesn't have to be the Christian God or the Muslim God or the Unitarian God, just some kind of power. There is a power out there that's injecting its, its or his power into our system, and yeah. we have to allow that. You're you know? arguing for an open system. 
Right, pretty much. As opposed to a closed system. Yeah. Yeah. Because methodological naturalism assumes a closed system. Yeah. And that is a very uh, narrow perspective on the way the world actually is. And it's not provable. You know, it's a presupposition. Yep. It says if we can't reproduce it in a test tube or measure it with scientific equipment, then we're just going to exclude it from investigation. And yep. you can't prove naturalism using naturalism. It's no, a presupposition. And so right. the question is, is it a valid presupposition or an invalid presupposition? And uh, for that, we, as you pointed out, we have to turn to philosophy. We have yep. to ask the the questions about God's existence or however you want to word that, you know, we have really compelling evidence from uh, the cosmological ar argument, cause and effect. You know, if the yeah. universe had a beginning, it needs a cause of its beginning. Yeah. Uh, I think we have good, strong, uh, inferential evidence from yeah. intelligent design, especially if we look at DNA. And yes. we say, well, DNA is a code, it's a language. Uh, all languages come from a mind. Well, yeah, the, the anthropic principle we're, underlying. The, yeah, the, like, the, yeah. can languages generate themselves? Does Which that make, like, how, how would that even possibly work for a language yeah. to generate itself? But also, from, you know, assuming that evolution is true, okay, uh, I don't really grant it, but assuming that that's true. How, how is it possible non-life beget life? Right. How is it possible that non-rationality beget rationality? Yeah. There has to be an intelligent, independent mind that made that happen, made those mm -hmm. things happen. Yeah. And we've got the fine-tuning of the constants in the physical yeah. universe for life. We also have many firsthand claims to miraculous events. Yeah. And that's not so easily dismissed. Yes. It's quite a burden, in fact. There are, I, I don't remember what the statistic was, but you know, 60% or something of Americans claim to have seen a miracle in their, in their lives. Yeah. If you go to, and, and this is a fairly secular, I mean, it depends on where you live. Uh, I, I live in the, the heartland of secularism within America. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there, there, are, there are other countries that are much more religious than America, yeah. and uh, that would have much higher percentages. Africa and Asia, yeah, you have a lot, yeah. a lot more so, religious people there too. Yeah, so on a Christian worldview, we don't have a problem with, uh, say, like an African witch doctor claiming a miracle and having like lots of eyewitnesses. We don't have a yeah. problem with that. We could say, well, either it's God or it's demonic or yeah. it's a trick. It's a superstitious trick. You know, we can do that. The atheist only has one move. Mm. It's a, it's a trick. It can't be legitimate. It can't right. really be what it, uh, on its surface, prima facie, claims to be. Yeah. And they have to do that every si for every single, single occurrence of everyone that claims, not only in the world today, but throughout time. I mean, the burden of that is just immense. Yeah. And even if one, just one miracle happens, a verifiable supernatural event happens, it disproves atheism. So uh, I think there's just a lot of compelling reasons to believe in God's existence, not to mention my own personal testimony, your testimony, yeah. uh, the testimony of other people like um, Louis Zamperini, 
Hmm. Uh, do you, have you ever heard of him? He was the the uh, Olympian during World War II. They made the movie about him called Unbroken. And uh, hmm. at the end of uh, that book, not in the movie, but in the book, uh, they talk about how he went forward at a Billy Graham crusade in California. Yeah. And he had been tortured with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, not that they called it that back in the 1940s and 50s. Mm. Uh, I think they called it shell shock back then. Mm. But he had these nightmares over and over and over, and he was just uh, heavily sedating himself with alcohol and just really destroying his life. And he had this unusual experience in this tent meeting with Billy Graham where he went forward and got prayed for, and in a moment, he was completely healed of wow. the uh, the torment of these flashbacks and they, you know he lived another 50 years afterwards they never came back uh wow. lived well into i don't know if his 80s or 90s dedicated his life to, to serving god and working with troubled youth you, you have stories like that and it's yes, like yes well what do you do with them you know are we going to say this purely psycho psychological explanation or even scientific uh some atheists would want to say that well, uh, there are some things that we have yet to discover, and uh, that cannot be explained by current modern medicine or, yeah, you know, that's We call science. that a science of the gaps theory. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> science of the gaps. Yep. Or naturalism of the gaps. Yeah. 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 So oh, we'll if, figure if that out later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so Give us another in the thousand meantime, years. We'll, 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 <laughs> that really, that's just you being close-minded and you, you, you just stubborn to yeah. to be open to the possibility you don't even allow the possibility that it could have been god oh no i allow the possibility i just no you don't you know you're not, <laughs> you don't really allow yeah. it to be honest you know in your heart of hearts because if you are then you won't make any of these excuses yeah do you remember the new atheist movement yeah, Richard Dawkins and yeah. Sa Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens. And, the uh, and there's Dennett. another guy, William Dennett. Dennett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel yeah. Dennett. Yeah, the four horsemen. horsemen. What? Well, and, and Shermer almost <laughs> got up in there, but he he kind of got left out from Michael the celebrity. Shermer? Yeah, from the celebrity status. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I remember, boy, when was when was the heyday of that movement? Twenty years ago or so. Uh, they yeah. were really ramping up, and they, they were buying a lot, ads. A lot of Christians were losing their faith. and Oh, uh, yeah, Christians were like, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. And yeah. uh, they were buying these ads on the on the double-decker buses in England and yes, London. Yeah. And they're like, well, there's no God. Be good for goodness sake or whatever. And uh, yeah. everyone was just convinced that this was the greatest threat to face Christianity. And uh, as it turns out, I believe, and I think a lot of sociologists would back me up on this, that the new atheists were, in fact, the death throes of modernism, and that they were just sort of like the last, you know, convulsions of a body that's just about to die and has just mm. a little bit left in it of energy. And, yeah. uh, you know, these—you don't hear much about any of these guys anymore. I mean, yeah, sure, Sam Harris is still— out there writing books against Christianity and Richard Dawkins. But, yeah, but he's not he's not promoting atheism anymore. He's he's doing something else. No, who's big now? It's Jordan Peterson and these other thinkers that are just like, you know what, maybe there is a God. Right. You know, and yeah, they don't you, have that hard edge to them like the yes. uh, new atheists used to have. And even a lot of uh atheist philosophers I mean, who know what they're doing, who know what they're talking about. 
are embarrassed by the arguments advanced by these four four horsemen. They distance themselves from these people when it's it's yeah. embarrassing. And when Richard Dawkins and company came out, uh, they, they never really impressed me. And some of the things that they were putting out were shallow. Mm. Let me say something here. I want to be careful. I know there are some people here who were Ravi Zacharias fan. To me, when I first heard Ravi, in my you know when I first got into apologetics some 15 years ago, 20 years ago, he never impressed me, and 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 I, and I kind of I kind of put him in the level of Richard Dawkins, you know. He's got all these slogans about yeah. God. Okay, yeah. He was a good public speaker. Yeah, you know yeah. he was. Richard Dawkins, he was very popular because he he was very persuasive and, you know, he put things in simple terms and, oh, yeah, everybody's all, oh, yeah, he's all that. You know, similar to Ravi, you know, he's with that Indian accent he had and he never debated. You know that, right? No, I, I, I never really followed his. Ravi never really debated. He just had a one-on-one -on -one debate on stage with some students, like two or three minutes. You know, that was it. There was no two hours, three hours. No, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. I think he would have been destroyed, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. slogans sound really great when you're making a speech, but in a debate, yeah. you have to think on your feet. And, uh, you, you know, you really are challenged with ca the counter idea. So it, yeah. it is a wholly, totally different kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Ravi probably did uh, some good in the world, but considering the fact that he was, you know, adulterous and committing adultery, and and um, yeah. I think also he was found to be embezzling funds from the organization. Right, right. You know, uh, I, I don't think he serves as a very good example to any of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, that's tragic. So I, I that's tragic. But I, I just, do just hear what say, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Right, that yeah. he's kind of at that level, uh, kind of like the junior squad, not the senior. Uh, team, the varsity yeah. team. Uh, but my point about the new atheists is that, you know, it was like a big tidal wave. And, and many of us in ministry at the time were so nervous about it. And uh, now that tidal wave has washed over us, it has mm. come ashore and now is pulling back into the ocean. And what we're seeing now is people coming back into churches who yeah, are now yeah. disillusioned with Sam Harris. And they're thinking, you know, you know, I thought he had all the answers. I thought he was so smart. But now, I'm just not so sure anymore. I'm not so confident that my fundamentalist atheism, atheism. is the only <laughs> true religion. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, so that's a fascinating time we're in. When you ask them, when you press them for answers, they're not really atheists. They're agnostics. Yeah. So you hear some of these uh, atheists are claiming to be atheist agnostic you know atheism is simply a lack of belief in god you know it's not a world view dependent you know we don't have a world view about god mm -hmm. it's just like you know we just don't believe in unicorns you know we lack belief in unicorns so they try to excuse themselves from making arguments for the non-existence of god so they're saying well i'm not uh, i'm an atheist uh not because uh I, I have to disprove God's existence. It's because there's not enough evidence. That's what they say. You know, th there is a growing movement to that end, you know. Yeah. 
you, you hear Matt Dillahunty and a bunch of other atheists are saying that to try to say that, well, it's not my burden to show that God doesn't exist. It's your burden to show that God doesn't exist. But you know, the classical meaning of atheism is uh, belief in non-existence of God, right? which is a positive claim. Right. You positively believe that God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we're just kind of winding down here, Aaron. Uh, what else on this historicity of the resurrection and uh, these different claims? Maybe we could summarize a little bit. Well, let me ask you first, did you want to say anything else about uh, this accessibility subject? Yeah, uh, you know, given methodological naturalism, okay, as a method, the only way that we can prove or show that Jesus became alive again is if we allow God in the picture, because uh, the evidence is not enough, and therefore we have to allow God in the picture. But the problem, he says, well, God is not allowed in the picture because of the the, the, the methodological constraints. So I'm proposing, well, in that case, let's go ahead and modify our approach. You know, uh, I call it modified historiography. We, I believe, must uh, move towards that because we're after truth, right? Mm -hmm. Could it be, and I believe, that historical truths are on par with ultimate realities? When we say, well, the resurrection didn't happen there's not enough evidence and we can't allow God. Well, could it be that you're preventing God in the picture and you're, you're disallowing people to know the truth about ultimate reality? Ultimate reality includes historical realities, historical truths. Therefore, you're, you're limiting research. You're, 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 you're not really about progress, <laughs> contrary to what you claim. Mm -hmm. You're not really open-minded. Hence, I'm proposing this uh, modified historiography. Yeah. Is that going to happen anytime soon? Maybe not, because... Uh, oh, I, I think it will. Well, anytime soon? Maybe it will. Maybe maybe not. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just my, my gut, my intuition. But uh, yeah, I definitely see this happening within our lifetimes in the academy. Right. Because, I mean... I hope so. I pray so. You know, the, the other way of doing things is just... You know, from where we sit now, it just looks so... So like, like 19th century, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, uh, yeah. like, why, why do I feel that way? Why do so many others feel that way? Well, the culture has shifted. Okay. There are going to be some people that are, you know, what we've seen, for example, with uh, Jordan Peterson is, is the, uh, the, the salvaging of the, the mythical approach, mm. you know, of the liberal New Testament scholars of yesteryear where, yeah. They're just like, oh, well, no, the Bible's good. We just have to realize there's just a, a bunch of myths that have moral lessons to teach us. Yeah. You know, it, so it's almost like we're kind of moving backwards a little bit. You know, I, I don't think this this hard and fast methodological naturalism is going to hold much longer. I mean, I, I don't really know, but that's that's my gut. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Another thing in closing I'd like to say is... Uh emphasize the fact that we do need to carve our, our own investigation of the New Testament data, the historical facts, uh, me recommending Lydia McGrew's writings, and I'm sure there are other writings out there to that end. We have to do our homework. We, ha we can't just be passive about it. And another thing, 
yes, we are biblical Unitarians. I believe that one way to reach out to the Trinitarians is not to constantly debate about the Trinity or the deity of Jesus. We have to become allies towards advancing the resurrection of Jesus, advancing morality. Let's be allies on some things, you know, rather than constantly debating them about the nature of God as whether he's a Trinity or not, or yes, there is a place for that, but let's become friends and let's, (laughs) if that makes sense, you know, that'd be my uh, closing there, uh, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that sentiment there. Uh, A lot of times, uh, whether or not we can be friends with Trinitarians is really up to the Trinitarian, (laughs) much less up uh, to our side. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it is very helpful to engage and uh, to not just do negative work, but also do positive work. And I, I really appreciate you mentioning that. We don't want to have our churches be the kinds of places where all you hear is what we're not. Right. And uh, I don't think it's really like that uh, in in churches, in fellowships, uh, house churches. Uh, yeah. But it is like that online. because that is uh you know our advocacy a lot of times is that we're trying to win converts persuade people and also justify our existence when we are uh constantly discriminated against i mean it's it's really it's really a lot yeah so uh my heart would be that when it comes to actual local communities of biblical unitarians that they would be holistic and not just stuck on this one subject just like you said yeah Um, yeah and uh Incidentally, there is a debate review of the recent debate between Lacona and Ehrman okay. by four gentlemen, two atheists and two Christians. Mm-hmm. And these Christians are Trinitarian, right? They're very popular. David Wood and a gentleman named, uh, I forget the name, he is with the Inspiring Philosophy. Okay. The other two, the atheist, uh, is, is with Myth Vision named Derek. And the other guy is uh, an ex-Muslim who's now an atheist. Um, I think he is an apostate prophet or something like that, right? Oh wow! So anyway, they they they, they together uh, did a, a review of the of the debate. Yeah, you know, it was a friendly discussion, and but you know, you you will never hear Trinitarians trying to collaborate with uh, Unitarian. Any when it comes to Unitarian, oh no, no, we can't, we can't. But when it comes to atheists, it's different. Yeah, you know, they hug. Atheists, you know, with all their might, <laughs> but they shy away like plagues from Unitarians. Yeah. And <laughs> well, I, I, I can't say that uh, I know how to fix that, but uh, I do kind of understand it. I think there is just an incredible fear. An evangelical knows what to do with a liberal Christian. Yes. And ironically, most liberal Christians believe in the Trinity and delight in the mystery of it. But uh, yeah. if you are, say, like a Unitarian Universalist liberal Christian, um, then, uh, you know, an evangelical knows what to do with you. They say, well, you know, you are part really of a different religion or uh, some of these more liberal mainline denominations. They're like, you know, you, you guys, we put you in a box over here. You don't accept the authority of Scripture. So therefore, you're in a different category. The real fear and confusion and I believe animosity towards us comes in because we're saying to them, no, we agree with you about scripture on everything Um, except, and it's because (laughs) we agree with you on scripture that we disbelieve in the Trinity because we don't Mm. find it in scripture. 
And as a model, as an explanatory model of God's inner being, we don't think it works with scripture or reason or history. All three, fail, fail, fail. Mm-hmm. And we are genuine followers of Jesus who accept the same Bible as you. That is terrifying. We're the, the contrary witness in the room that is raising her hand and saying, yeah, I saw, I saw this person kill the other person. Like I was there, I saw it. You know, they, they have to get rid of us. <laughs> so uh, I think I kind of understand why there is such, you know, such a, a bulldogishness yeah, uh, yeah. against us. But you know what? From my, the example of Jesus, I don't see that as justification for us being that way back. Right. I think Amen. that we are taught to love our enemies yeah. and to pray for them. And that if we do get slandered because of standing for the real Jesus, that uh, he says to leap for joy because that's the way they treated the prophets. You know, Jesus' persecution didn't come from the Romans very much. I mean, at the end, of course, but most of it was from the established religious leaders who believed in the same Bible as he did. Yeah, yeah. So Hmm. I think that's where we're we're at today. But I really appreciate your time, Aaron. Thanks so much for... Presenting yeah. this research, and we'll be certain to have it available to people to read the entire paper. What's next for you? Do you have any idea about uh, future projects that you're working on, or anything anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, I'd like to continue to work on fine tuning my the content of my thesis, and some things I'm changing. And uh, after the changes, I'll, I'll send you the PDF file so you can upload okay. it for others be able to view it. In my YouTube, I'm slowly putting together a project, what I call a grounding, building and developing one's religious epistemology. So, you know, we have uh, foundationalism, you know, what, what do we assume, you know, logic, reason, mm-hmm. the existence of other minds. And then from there, we get into the type of apologetics are we classical apologetics or presuppositionalists or evidentialists well i am trained as a classical apologist okay you know from my seminary that is to say when we uh, defend christianity we are using what's called a two-step uh, apologetics one we got to establish god first god has to be there first mm-hmm. Because number one, he's the foundation. He's yeah. the ground of being, right? Yeah, that's that's a message that's coming through clearly. That is very important to you. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, exactly. So, and then we, we get into Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus, his ministry, his, his second coming. And I believe that the best way to do apologetics is by applying classical apologetics. So I'm building, you know, I'm, I'm grounding it and then uh, building it and the process and then developing it later on. You know, hopefully I'll be able to invite uh, Dale Tuggy. I've already invited, uh, you know, Dustin Smith and, you know, as far as the Bible and, you know, invite other uh, other speakers. You know, I might invite Trinitarians too, you know, so don't be offended, uh, <laughs> listeners, because <laughs> they can contribute to the grounding. You know, they don't need to be Unitarians to to be able to contribute to the grounding, you know, you know, the Christian apologetics, the uh, yeah. classical. Christian well, apologetics. yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to epistemology, you you've got a lot in common there, right, right. And yeah. uh, you know, this is a subject that's worth consideration, and it's and it's important. 
uh, both for apologetics and also grounding our own confidence Yes, uh, that yep. these are not uh, cleverly devised tales passed down generation by generation, but that if you go all the way down, there's solid ground <laughs> somewhere, and then yeah, you can yeah. build back up using first yeah. principles. I think that's a great project, and uh, you know, I'd love to see a book uh, or something you know, over time, if you could By the develop. way, I'll invite you too. Now, uh, when, you know, eventually we're going to get into, you know, the nature of sin, the nature of man, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that'd be good. I've been uh, doing work on that a little bit and uh, I've enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Aaron, for uh, talking with me today. I appreciate it. All right, Sean. I enjoyed it very, very much. God bless. God bless. Well, that brings this interview to a close. What'd you think? Come on over to restitutio.org and find episode 446, Resurrection Objection 3, Supernatural and Accessible, and leave your feedback there. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this episode and about Schellenberger's approach to dialoguing with unbelievers and skeptics and atheists and agnostics to build some sort of bridge from a historical case without assuming the Bible's already true, making a historical case for the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that came through so clearly in these interviews is Schellenberger's insistence that a historical case for the resurrection of Jesus really properly needs a logical or evidential case for the existence of God. Otherwise, you just end up with a historical conundrum that is at odds with natural explanations without a God to turn to to say, oh, well, since we know that God exists, it's just, it's just obvious that God raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, but without a God, you don't have that move to make, and that seems to be where a lot of this this, that seems to be where a lot of these debates get stuck. So if you're curious and would like to learn how to more effectively build a case for God's existence, check out episode 390. It's our Why Christianity Part 3 class called God is Real. And in that episode, I go through a number of the standard, and it's just very brief, a number of the standard arguments for God's existence, including the Kalam cosmological argument based on the beginning of the universe, the fine-tuning argument based on the design inference, an, an argument from DNA being a code that all codes or languages come from minds. They don't arise in nature. Instead, what arises from nature is, is in the information world called noise, not language. And the argument from moral absolutes, the argument from miracles, which you've already just touched on, and then last of all, the argument from personal experience. So there's six arguments for God's existence, all of which I think are very convincing, to be honest. And then if you want to go even deeper, check out podcasts 53 and 54, which is my old apologetics class from the Atlanta Bible College, where I go into, does God exist? And then four more reasons why God exists. And that's much more of a classical approach, a little bit more of a college level, where I go through the ontological argument, the teleological argument, the cosmological argument in their classical formulations, as well as some of these others where I go into a little bit more detail. And then, of course, there are tons of books in the apologetics world that can help you establish God's existence with someone. But 
one of the points I'm picking up from Schellenberger here is that using the case for the resurrection of Jesus to prove God's existence is really kind of difficult because you end up with a historical riddle rather than a uh, smoking gun, if you will. Uh, you, you just kind of get fixated on why in the world did these people experience these resurrection appearances, and you start looking for psychological explanations. Or you would start attacking the sources and say, oh, the, all these sources are unreliable. Or you are going to find some out-of-the-box natural solution, like the, uh, like the idea that Jesus had a twin brother that was secret or, and then only manifested after Jesus was killed, or, or whatever. You know, the, the point is, this, the naturalist historian is free to concoct whatever kind of unlikely explanation he or she wishes over God because God is ruled out out of court based on other reasons. So really get, looking at these other reasons is really significant when talking about this subject. Even so, I think it is really encouraging for us as Christians to know that we can build a historical case, even using the methodology of the skeptic, in order to point very strongly to the likelihood of the resurrection of Jesus, that it's not just some sort of belief based on a holy book, uh, but it is actually grounded in robust historical uh, methodology uh, from multiple sources. And really, if anything, it, it's it's difficult for the non-believer the evidence rather than difficult for the believer, which I think should should uh, should encourage you, should bolster your faith, give you some confidence, a spring in your step. When you navigate this world that is full of secularism and scientism and constant attacks on those of us who believe God indeed has spoken and has revealed himself through the Bible. All right, well, I've prattled on long enough here, but thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to the end here. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that at our website. Uh, we've got a little donation page there, and so appreciative of those of you who are supporting this ministry. I'm uh, Currently, I'm hard at work on my paper for the UCA conference, and uh, this year, I think you probably heard that there is a call for papers for anyone, anyone who has something that they think would be good to present at the conference, who's able to write at an academic level. And so more information on that, UnitarianChristianAlliance.org. But I myself am writing a paper, doing a lot of research, and uh, looking to send that in within a month, uh, since the deadline is July 1st for that. And uh, so I'm in the thick of it. I'm knee-deep. And I'd love to tell you more about it, but here's the deal. I can't. It's, uh, it's too much of a liability. And that is because if you know what I'm writing my paper on, chances are the uh, at least one... Uh, or more of the people on the paper review committee may also find out what I'm writing my paper on, and the process needs to be anonymous. So if I blather on about my exciting research and all of my troubles and triumphs, then the review committee will actually know who wrote that particular paper, because the chances of somebody else writing the, uh, a paper on the same subject as mine is extraordinarily low 
um, because it is rather an obscure topic, but uh, I think a very important topic, and uh, whether it gets accepted or not for the UCA conference, I am very much looking forward to sharing it with you, and I think it will, in fact, bolster your faith in our one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and be able to really answer one of the big objections that uh, those who hold to the Trinity sometimes bring up. So that's all I can say about that, but I uh, just want to let you know that that is in the works, and I'm really excited about it. But anyhow, we'll catch you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.